everyone, it's Naomi Sneakers and welcome to the firecracker department. Well, here we are on a on a Monday night, standing in my closet. It's probably about one o'clock in the morning, and I'm doing my intro now. Because that's that's when it's getting done today. I have not been sleeping well and uh, getting up earlier, like six o'clock in the morning. Last night I was up at four, five, and six, so that's good times. I had a dream, and I know nobody wants to hear each other's dreams. But I'm just gonna make it quick. I had a dream where I was uh, I was having an actor's nightmare, and if you don't know what that is, that's when you know you're standing on stage in your dream, and uh, or you're going to do a show, and then you realize you haven't memorized your lines. It's really stressful. But in my dream, I looked around the room and said. This is a nightmare. So that's how aware I am of my dreams. I'm living a nightmare within my nightmare. I woke up out of that, had a piece of toast, went back to bed. How are you sleeping? What What's going on in your brains? I have a lot going on. I leave tomorrow morning to go to Calgary to interview Jan Arden. I'm so excited to see her and speak with her. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter yet, go subscribe, firecrackerdepartment.com, and then you'll know when that episode airs. I just binge-watched her entire season, Jan, on CTV, uh, and it's so good. And I cried. There's a couple episodes in there that are real, they're real close to home because my mom uh, has dementia and her mom passed away from Alzheimer's. So it really, it really hits home, but there's some really funny moments too. And uh, Zoe Palmer is fantastic. And I mean, Jan Arden, I've always thought is hilarious. And now she's doing her Jan banter, but in like half hour segments. So it's even better. Uh, what are you working on these days? You know, Firecracker Department started as a podcast, but it quickly became a community of people supporting each other to take creative action. And that's really important because it's one thing getting inspired. Gosh, I get inspired from so much. I get inspired from music and from art and from my friends doing amazing work, from great shows that I'm watching. The trick is to take that inspiration and let it lead you to your own creative action. So what's your creative action and what's stopping you from taking it? Because God knows it is not always easy to take creative action. I get it. And uh, I'm a procrastinator. People look at me and they're like, oh, you're, you always get so much done. And I also get a lot of procrastination done. Thank you very much. So what's the thing that is stopping you from taking creative action? I know for me, I spend a lot of time in the organization of life, whether it's uh, firecracker department stuff or whether it's organizing my home, my closet. I quickly and happily, in fact, I will go over to a friend's house and organize their closet rather than doing my own work. That's how much I love organizing things. Uh, just ask Deanna Moffat, been over to her house, organized her closet. It was a dream. Uh, so that sometimes stops me. I have to get away from that kind of stuff so I can really focus in on what my main project, my main passion project is. How do you do it? How do you get focused? Uh, for me, I sometimes have to leave my home. Like I go to a coffee shop and then, and then I feel like I'm answerable to even like the stranger that's sitting next to me. Cause maybe they'll look over and be like, oh man, she's on her Facebook a lot. So it's just being answerable to people. I started a thing on firecracker department, uh, Facebook membership page 
and it's a firecracker goal setting. So every Monday, I'm going to just put up a list. And if you want to register a goal that you're setting for yourself that week, go right ahead. And then we'll check back in the next week to see how you did with that goal. What stopped you from achieving that goal? What can the firecracker community do to help you achieve your goals? Because there's some kick-ass women in this community and uh, they are poised and ready to help. Do you need a script read? Do you need a, a producer found? There's tons and tons of people that are ready to help for those kind of things. So, so reach out. We're starting so many cool things. In September, we're going to start the Firecracker Script Department. Now, that's going to be based in Los Angeles for now, but eventually we're going to be starting a chapter in Toronto as well. However, if you are a script writer in Toronto, we are going to be accepting submissions coming up. Uh, and those scripts can come from anywhere. You can send them to us and we'll read them in Los Angeles. Uh, we are going to be going live so that you can Skype in and hear your script being read by actors. And we're also going to be getting industry people on a panel. So once your script's read, we get some feedback, not only from the audience, but from some industry folks too on the panel. Really excited about that. Lots of things are happening in Firecracker World. So make sure you join our community and uh, be part of it because... It's way better if you're there. I'm going to lay it on the line there. It's way better with you in the firecracker department. Cross my heart. My guest today, oh, I'm so excited to share her with you, her voice, her stories, her passion, Gabrielle Rose. You'll know her from Sweet Hereafter, the movie by Adam McGoyan. Uh, Maudie, oh my gosh, what a great film that was. Uh, she and I did a film called Two for One. That's where I met uh, Gabrielle. She's just an incredible artist. She does stage, screen, she writes, she's a creator. Uh, and she's also just a passionate artist. You know, there's a lot of people in our industry and some people do it as a job. Some people just check in, check out, and it's a job for them. And Gabrielle Rose, for me, dives deep. I've never seen her do anything that I, I haven't marveled at her commitment and um, devotion she, she gives to her craft. It's really, really inspiring. We had such a truthful discussion about uh, this business and aging in this business and how challenging it is. Uh, I'm so honored to have this kind of talk with my guests. Also, it was pretty challenging. We were um, talking during TIFF last year, September, and uh, we found a little space in this art gallery. And the number of times we were interrupted by people walking through, oh my gosh, I tried to edit it out because uh, it's super boring. It's super boring to hear these two guys that kept interrupting us and then leaving the door open. It was freezing. So, um, gosh, thank you, Gabrielle Rose, for putting up with subpar subpar conditions for this interview uh, but we had such a great discussion and um, I'm really grateful for for the chat and for her friendship she's one of a kind okay here she is Gabrielle Rose hi so happy to see you oh it has been way too long way too long well, I mean, this is the outside view, but like your career seems to be just constant. I know it's extraordinary, right? Yeah, I'm is really that the lucky. truth? Well, it's not really. I mean, <laughs> but you know how like somebody it's sees it from the outside, and they're like, "You're always working." And I, you know, there was a time when I made some money, and I'm not making any money anymore, like hardly any, right? Because I, I'm doing, but I'm doing things I love. So that there's a, you know, it's a balance thing, right? Yeah. But I don't think that if I wasn't 
like if, if I said no I'm not going to do the theater and I'm not going to do the low budget films right. I think that I still wouldn't I wouldn't be working very much I think that that, that wouldn't be that much for me because my age my look I, you know I'm, I have like 85 jowls and 20 oh double chins oh my god you don't I totally do well, and particularly in, the, you know, in this film but um, and I, I'm scared of doing anything about that like the whole I have absolutely no objection to anybody doing anything right. whatsoever to their face however they want to do right. it but I find anything to do with beauty is unbelievably painful and I have a Think about that. I just don't like being in pain. Yeah. Much. Oh, you mean like the idea of doing a nip and tuck would be nip and tuck, yeah. or yeah, the idea of having my face cut is not. Oh no, that couldn't do that. Yeah. But there's lots of other things, and, you know. And I do like sometimes go to the laser guy and get bits of old skin burnt off because okay. it's, because it's you know might turn into cancer yeah. or whatever. Yeah, right? that's health. I've done that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and that, it's painful. Yeah. There's so much pain attached to beauty. And uh, I um, know. So, and at my age, I sort of decided to let it go. I went, well, you know what I could do is I could just play the grandmother. So I let my hair go gray, like the, shortly after our film. Yeah. Because it wasn't totally gray. No. In our film. No. A little bit. No, it was dark. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I let it come, go completely gray and I went, okay, granny, here I go, you know. And then, and you've then been I working. Conti- I continue to work. Yeah, I mean, it always feels like the the projects that you choose have a strong artistic uh, quality to them. I mean, you said you stood, you there was a time where you made money. Was that like yeah. in the more commercial world? Yeah, I mean, you make money like series, and I think people had more money too. Right in the early two thousands, there was a bit more money. It sort of stopped around two thousand and three or four or something. Right, and it got really bad around two thousand and eight when the downturn came. Right. Yeah, and and there was a period, probably around sweeter after, where I got a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and there was and there was and there was money to make those things. You right. Know? I did a couple of mini series, and I really ha- had good fortune. And uh, but uh, you know, yeah. it's just the swings and roundabouts of this this industry. I'm really lucky that I'm, I think known as a Canadian actress. Oh, know? yeah? Yeah, I think that that's, that, that has allowed me to do these uh, independent films. Right. And there's no money attached to them. Right. It's like, yeah, it's just the, the glamour, really, as we sit in this. <laughs> you should take a picture. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the glamour. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I do it, really. Uh, the glamour. Yeah, the glamour is just unending. Really. Oh, goodness. All those people I was picking up my dog's poo this morning and thinking the same at 6:30 thing. 6.30 in the morning, I had four people doing my makeup at 6.30. This morning? It's a lot. You're lying, lying to me. Oh, totally you're lying, lying to me. I was like, first of all, four people. Like, I know. You take care of that eye. I'll take care of this cheek. As we walk through tropical storms, right? I know, but <laughs> with our little six ninety nine umbrellas, right? And would you have it any other way, though? Like, do you want those four people looking after your face? No, but I wouldn't have minded like the ride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so diva. Slightly bigger umbrella, right? Yeah, well. and maybe some rubber boots. I didn't bring any shoes oh. that are... I, I brought... I thought, at the very last minute, I went, it could get cold. Put in your runners. So I threw in one runner. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't throw the okay. other runner in. That's adorable. I, You're... <laughs> I don't know why I didn't take the other runner. I just don't know what I was thinking. Do you want me to jump out and buy a couple of, like, Canadian Tire Wellingtons? Uh, no, that's fine. 
I mean, that's the star power that you've got that you can have people do that. What am I going to do with that. them? I've only got so much space. That's in my true. Luggage. That's yeah. true. <laughs> but like the thing, the idea of aging. Like, did you just come to terms with like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to embrace it. And do you like do you wrestle with that? I wrestle. Do you? I do. I wrestle with it too as I, I age. I think relinquishing youth is a very very difficult project. Yeah. The fact is, is that you have to anyway. Like, yeah, you don't have even, a choice. Even if you do all the work, you're still going to get, you're, you're still hopefully going to be 80 years old one day. Yeah. And at that point, there's nothing really that says that, you know, I don't, I haven't ever seen an 80 year old woman that looks 50. But I feel like when I'm 80, I'll still be like, I remember when I was 70. I know. Do you know? I, I Why didn't I appreciate like, myself when I was 70? I was yeah. so young looking. I feel that way about 50 and 55. I feel like yeah. that way. I went, wow, why didn't I appreciate myself? Yeah. But then that I felt that way when I was 30. I, I thought, why didn't I appreciate myself when I was 17? I just, all I ever saw when I was 17 was my pimple. Right. And all the flaws as all opposed to flaws. going, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, or I'm athletic. Like I have that skill or I have this ability because of this body, yeah. you know? One of the great things about being my age, I can take my glasses off. And look. And I can look in the mirror, and then I can back up right out into the hallway, and I look. <laughs> Keep going, Naomi. Keep going. Backing up, backing up, backing up. Oh, uh, there I am. I look like myself. And it, I mean, I know there's a cliche. Every person of my age will say this, but you are walking along, you're feeling great, and you see this person walk beside you in the, you know, in the window. Yeah. Like, like who reflected? Is that? Yeah. Well, who the hell is that old lady? Yeah. You know, oh, that's me. Yeah. Oh. Oh. But then, how do we start to embrace that new version? Well, that's the thing. So that's one of the things that I think is one of, one of my jobs in my world. Right. Um, is to embrace it and try and turn it into art. So I feel like you are doing that, like that movie, The Real Wim- Real Women. Is that right? It's called. Oh yeah. That, yeah. Like yeah, that was. Great. That's fantastic. But even yeah. like just seeing the roles that you're choosing. It's a, uh, like you're very sexy. You're, you've always been sexy in the roles you do, and like even like you know this, um, the Kingsway. You're you're like a sexy, sassy lady. Like she is a sexy, sassy and that lady. reinvents what we know as being Absolutely. whatever the age that was. And she's not hiding any of her no, you know, sagginess and bagginess and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great start. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that one of the things I cho- chose to do when I was about 55 was to look at older women because I realized that we don't look at us we don't look at each other so I started to look at women who are middle aged and older and to try and see their beauty yeah that was my first thing was to actually look at them you know to decide to see I mean I love watching European cinema and love it and yeah British cinema the British, British BBC yeah. series that yeah. are yeah I mean like and that. some of the women have facelifts and some of them don't and um, but but I love the honesty of it right yeah. you know there's not there's not sort of like a gazillion lights around their faces they're honest it's yeah. honest it really is how people look and you go oh yeah yeah yeah, like uh, in a certain light somebody can look 30 and in another yeah. light they can look 60 and that to me is exploration of age right? right just to be aware of it just to sort of look to your surroundings and also I think it's really really important how we treat 
in our scripts yeah. those women. So if you say that all the old women are evil and you know bats and they're the bad guys, they're the wardens, they're the whatever, right? And that the young people are all the good people. Well, that's not a balance. Yeah, it's not balanced, and that that immediately reinforces a sort of patriarchal belief that old ladies shouldn't be listened to, and if you do listen to them, they're they're lying. Right. They're evil. They're going to poison you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we need to sort of shift that. Let's shift that that vision and and talk honestly. Old weight ladies are also not perfect. They're not um, necessarily beautiful. They're not necessarily the greatest people, but they have a enormous amount of wisdom. They know how to survive. Yeah. You know, there's all these things that they know how to do. They're no longer huntresses for men so they have an ability to see the world politically in a completely different fashion from anybody else who is trying to procreate right and that gives them this enormous like international view of the world years ago i wanted to make a a documentary about old women yeah and to light them properly right so that it's it's kind and beautiful so you see all their wrinkles and everything else but you're they're beautiful so i never did make that documentary i had it all um spaced out and i even had a producer but it never happened and the women uh, unfortunately one of them was my mother passed away so i never got to and i wanted to hear what they had to say yeah so i still think it would be worth making right like interview old ladies yeah. What was, like, what was it like? It would be interesting, I think, for women today to know um, the restrictions on their lives when they were young, right? Right. I mean, that's still happening for our generation and the past, you know, the next generation. We're seeing restrictions that, like, my niece isn't going to have to deal with. And, never, and that you've never dealt with, right? right? exactly. Right. Like, like my grandmother lived to be 105. Yeah. And so and she wasn't able to vote, right? Right. When yeah. she was young. Well, maybe she was too young to vote then anyway, but... But, but yeah, those kind of restrictions. She for lived sure. through that era where women couldn't vote. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so much attention now on our on the visual. Maybe that's just because of the industry we're in. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like the battle of aging is very I don't know prevalent, and people are much more aware of how it goes. I think women always battled with it, of but course. now you know we're in social media, so you see our battle. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And so I don't know. I like the idea of a documentary. I think that you're right that we. We, um, I think we need to make it less secret. Yeah. Do you know, like, how old are you? We're not. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. I mean, I, I don't tell people how old I am because I mean, I'll tell you how old I am. Okay, I just had my birthday two days. Okay, ago. I'm 66. And how do you feel about being 66? Well, I'm two thirds the devil. <laughs> I mean, that's a goal not everybody can own, right? No. Yeah. No. So I think that might be an interesting year. And have you always told people your age? I do tell people my age, you know, because IMDb has my age as a lie. Um, it says that I'm born in 1954, and I'm not. I'm born in 1952, and I didn't lie. I didn't give them that information, so I got a hold of IMDb, and I said, I'm born in 1952, not 1954, and they said, prove it. And I went, well, how do I prove it? They wanted me to send me a, send their, my passport or my birth right. certificate, and I was like, no freaking way, man. Right. And, right. Um, and I thought, well, did the people who send in my 19, the 1954 date, did they prove it? They couldn't have. But who did that, So though? why won't they take my yeah. word over the person that first put that in? And I don't know who that is. Right. Anyway, so now I tell people I don't care. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I always think it's, it's a... 
I don't, I don't think age matters. Like, I 66 really is a number to me. So I go, this is who you are as a person. Yeah, yeah. I don't go... Like, if you told me you were 86, I'd be like, oh, that's uh, that's a different version of what I thought wow, 86 you was. you did have a facelift. You were a liar. <laughs> liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And then I'd know that you were lying. Yeah. But, like, I'm constantly being... I don't know. I don't think about um, how, pe- how old people are. I think about what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, do you think... I don't think about how old people are. No. At all. No. no. I mean, I, I just think there's a wrestle with aging in our industry because, as you said, there's just not... There's not roles for us as we get older, you know, what they say. And we can be our own worst enemies too, right? Yeah. We go, oh no, I don't want to see a wrinkly face. Right. Yeah. You know, so uh, that's something we have to kind of get through. Yeah. Move through. Do you think you have um, the career that you thought you would have when you first started? I I was asked that question before, you know, and I don't know if I ever thought about what kind of career I was going to have. Yeah. I I know I went through a phase where I wanted to be famous, um, which is... Such an ignominious desire. Well, but that changes, like, though, right? Like twenty. Oh, yeah. I, it was like 20 when I wanted that. So your idea of fame when you were 20-something. I used to watch the Johnny Carson show and get nervous. Because one day you're going to be Because I was honest. imagining myself going on it. I know exactly nervous. that. I'd like, have, I'd like have butterflies in my stomach and feel slightly sick to my stomach. That's awesome. And not really have an understanding that the likelihood of me ever being on Johnny Carson. Right. <laughs> Was like well now a million to one against well now absolutely zero yeah <laughs> he's not famous anymore you ran out of time said, he's in spirit so yeah <laughs> I love that but word. was there a moment where you realized you weren't going to be on Johnny Carson and it it was painful no there was a moment when I realized that I wasn't famous and probably would never be famous and I was really fine with it. Okay, so tell me that, because yeah. A, I think that people would disagree that you're not famous. Like, I, any time I've mentioned your name, whether working with you or doing this. But that's within interview. our industry. Like, the people on the street have no idea. Right. Gotcha. None whatsoever. And that, that's, like, so fame is, uh, you know, walking along the street and Joe saying, you're Gabrielle Rose. Right. And that, though, I sometimes have people walk along the street and go, where did I meet you? Yeah. Yeah, you know, like because yeah. I've been in their living room, right? right. Um, and uh, that's not fame. That's just being known enough yeah. that your face is kind of familiar. Um, so yeah, I have that. Yeah, um, that's not what I was after. I wanted to be like Meryl Streep or something, you know. Right. In, in when I was twenty, she. I don't know if Meryl Streep was famous at that point, but whoever was Audrey Hepburn, maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, not that I ever looked like Audrey Hepburn. Well, I was so. I mean, you know. <laughs> I know. I had a vision that I was like, I want to look like Audrey Hepburn or like Twiggy, and then I graduate. Oh, wait a second! I don't have those jeans. I know, or the anorexia. Yeah, no, I did have anorexia. When did I was you? Seventeen. Yeah. So where did that come from? Well, I was um, I was always called pleasingly plump all through my life, and I, I think it really bothered me. By whom? Who who called you that? Everybody. Everybody would say. Pleasingly you're, plump. You're, you're, oh, you're beautiful. You're, you're pleasingly plump. Oh. And I knew that it was a diss. And, uh, and then Twiggy, see, Twiggy twigged this, uh, yeah. triggered this. Um, Twiggy came on the scene. I think she's the same age as me. And uh, she was androgynous. Yeah. Right? She was stick thin with just these huge eyes and had lots of spiky makeup yeah. around. And I just thought she was the bee's knees. And uh, <clears throat> so, 
So when I was around 16 or 17, I went to university, and that's not a good idea to go so early. I skipped a bunch of, a couple of grades, and I was out of my element, and I went on this diet. Yeah. You're a smarty pants, though. I was a smarty pants, but right. I went on this diet, and um, I started to lose weight. And I think, too, that I'd got, I went from, at 14, I was stick thin, and at 15, by 14 and a half, I, I was super curvy. Right. Your, like, hormones checked in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the remember in June they cast me as anybody's in West Side Story. We were going to produce it in the uh, September, and I was fired halfway through. Really? Not fired because it was in high school. You can't be fired. <laughs> All right. But suddenly I was, you know, because you're pleasing club. Yeah, because no. I've, I've gone really super curvy, wow. and anybody's has to be just to look like a boy. Right. So I didn't look like a boy anymore, and. Um, and I think that might have shocked me a bit. I've yeah. been a bit scared of it. And anyway, around 16 and a half, a few things happened. Really not good things. And, um, and I went on this diet and I lost a ton of weight. And people didn't know what was wrong with me. In those days, yeah. there was no anorexia nervosa. Right. There was no uh, tag for that. It wasn't an illness. Right. And so the doctors just didn't know what the hell was wrong with me. And um, I didn't tell them that I was binging and purging and uh, not binging at that point, but just purging. And uh, um, and I lost my periods and oh my god, I became stick thin and really not very well. And um, it was an awful period of, you know, I lost. Yeah. I felt like I lost myself. Yeah, I don't know how I got on this. I've never told anybody this. Oh, I mean, I've told people, but I haven't never told it on a. Thing. thing before. Well, it's relevant. Like, it's you're totally not the relevant. only one that's going through something like that. We all have relationships with food, food. that is yeah. normal or abnormal. So, yeah. I, I mean, mean, and it's all stemmed from other things, right? We all deal with something emotional, and then it turns to food, alcohol, sex, drugs. Like, there's ways that we deal with things yeah, unhealthily. Yeah, I think I was trying to make myself, like, un... You know, un... Like, just disappear. Oh, wow. Yeah. And as you said, you stopped feeling like yourself. That must have been such an out-of-body experience. I know, and it took me about 14 years to come back into Really? Body, I would say, yeah. Yeah, for sure. 30s. Wow. My 20s when I was a me- Like, just a neurotic mess. Yeah. yeah. Um, wh- what was that journey like for those 14 years? That's a long time to live I mean, I still that. had a good time. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, you're not just... I still fell in love, madly in love, and terrible things happened. But my 20s were agony. Really? They were in agony. And was that because you were also dealing with, like, the aftermath of whatever started it? Yeah. Yeah. So, probably. I mean, you know, it's just such a weird world. Yeah. But I was a survivor, and I think that's the thing is that, you know, um, I always fought back. I always learned from every, every bad thing that ever happened to me, I've learned from, and... It's made me stronger. And I think that's the thing. Is like in, in all of one's suffering, you find wisdom. It, and you really actually, in an awful sort of way, have to go to those depths in order to find that strength yeah. to climb out of that hole that you're in. Yeah. Whether it's addictive or whether, you know, addictions or um, dealing with somebody who's addicted, um, death, um, rape, yeah. um, all of these terrible things that can happen, particularly to young girls and young women um, to you, you you find your strength of conviction and yeah. that will never fucking happen to me again yeah like 
I mean, other shitty things will happen to me, and then I have learned from those things. But the strength that you develop from all of that, hopefully, is is the one thing you can take away that will help you with the next thing. And then you also can avoid some of the pitfalls, right? Yes. I mean, it's terrible. Is it? You know, it's terrible that you have to learn from. Got to a really dark place. Well, no. I mean, it's made you the actress you are. I guess. Like we have a wealth of. Like, sadly, a wealth of pain to tap into. So your characters are always, like, innately complex and flawed. And thank God we see these women on screen that are flawed. Like I think it's really important that women be flawed because we can't live up to the no. pedestal. I don't want to be put on a pedestal. I know that women can be brilliant, wonderful, marvelous, beautiful, caring, nurturing, all of that. But we also can be agonized yeah. and addicted and furious and, and we need to see that side because otherwise you'd feel you feel so inadequate yeah. if all we ever do is see the iconic goddess then when we are the devilish nasty mean mouth jealous yeah. then we feel so like we feel so flawed and then we feel that that's who we are yeah and we can't ever be that goddess so why though try why try right you know so we must create these full characters there it's imperative that we create full characters that yeah. are not just this color it's got to have all these colors yeah um do you remember what got you out in the end 14 years later I sort of remember vaguely landing back in my body in my mid-thirties. I sort of left my body when I was 16 and a half and came back in my mid-thirties. What a thing. Yeah. <laughs> what a whole... Was it a discovery of something in your thirties that... or? Um... I think it was a slow climb out. I think things yeah. just got better and better. I do remember one... It was a man I was sharing a dressing room with, and I always referred to myself as neurotic. And he said, you know, you're not... And I went, what? And he said, you're not. You say that. Mm. I said, he said, I think you're just, you're not. Right. And that made you go, oh, I'm not anymore. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's was... funny the things we force really ourselves. I'm to Dana for saying that to me. Yeah. 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 Um, but I don't think that was like, that was just a moment. No, it was slow. As you said, yeah. it probably... Yeah, a moment. Um, I don't know. I can't answer. I mean, I think... It's yeah. just, it was really, I was sort of beset by mishap mishap after mishap after mishap after mishap um, I, and then, and it sort of I guess culminated with my father dying um, in my 30s uh, around 32 or 3 and um, and then I finally took time to be by myself and I remember um, that was really important in my mid to late 30s I, I said I have to just stop I have to stop being serial monogamist you know like I have to stop going from one man to another to Mm. another to another I have to stop um, and heal my broken heart I have a broken heart and I have to heal it and I went on a trip to uh, Hawaii which (laughs) sounds so spoiled (laughs) (laughs) but I did and for me that was an adventure I know that young women these days just go everywhere and you know I talked to some dear friends like Ann Wheeler who took off and went to Africa and places like that but I've never been like a really seriously brave woman Um, 
So for me, it was brave to yeah. go by myself anywhere. And in this was, uh, we're talking 30 years ago. And, uh, and, I, and I had this magical experience there. And I actually felt it heal. Hmm. I actually felt, like, I really examined the mess that was inside my chest. Yeah. I had a good look. By yourself? By myself. And it, it was really important that it be by myself. Yeah. And the first four days were a nightmare. I, I was, be, I had this voice in my head berating myself for having chosen the wrong place to stay and the wrong thing to eat. And the, and I went, who is this voice? What is this voice in my head that's telling me off all the time? Mm-hmm. And before I'd always given that to someone else, you know, like my mother, my father, my you know, boyfriends, my uh, sister, whatever. I knew, oh, that's my voice. Yeah. That's a learned voice that I've learned how to just tear myself to shreds. And, um, and I... I stopped. That's I stopped. empowering too, hey? Yeah. I had a magical experience with, with porpoises, actually. <laughs> I mean, if I had a dime for every time somebody said that to me, I'm, I would have a dime because it's the first time. <laughs> so tell me. So I went on this snorkeling trip. Um, I, finally, after berating myself for these first four days, I, I said, we'll do something. Yeah. And so I signed up for this trip to go snorkeling off this reef and I love snorkeling I love being underwater I love, I love swimming water to me is like my solid salvation yeah and so healing and cleansing so healing to be one with the earth and you know it's just like a part of the earth yeah. and unimportant and so I went on this boat trip and um and the suddenly these porpoises were were flying next to us. That's the only way I can describe it. They were flying right next to us, and I was entranced. And the man who was right, driving the boat said, just go there, and there's this, like, a hammock right above the water. So I was two inches away from the water, and the porpoises just swam right next to my cheek. So I felt like I was almost a part of their pod. And they did this back and forth and under the boat and around the boat, and... and uh, and then they left and I was sad I felt this immense um, sadness come over me as they left and I went oh you've gone and suddenly they came back and they gathered up in front of the boat in front of me and they all stood up on their tails as if to take a bow it was like at a Broadway musical and then they left again <laughs> and I went they came back and they bowed <laughs> I went it's just like theatre <laughs> <laughs> and I felt just this intense joy. I just I felt like I would been, had been given a gift from yeah. the universe, you know. Were you always self-effective? Oh, I don't think so. I think I was an idiot. <laughs> 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 I really, really do. Oh God, yeah. I mean, I mean, every mistake that you can possibly make as a human being, pretty much. Really? Pretty much. Oh God, yeah, yeah. I think that like uh, um, I, I constantly lived in a world of imagination, right? So it actually impeded my progress as a human being on the earth. Why? Right? So, because I was never really in my body. Oh, interesting. Right. So I was easily buffeted by every wind. Right. I was easily influenced by everybody's uh, everybody's opinion. Right. So that opinion, I go, oh, I agree with that opinion. Oh, I agree with that opinion. I, oh, I, you know, without actually sort of stopping to reflect, and that's why I had to then have these these this time by myself. And I'm talking about there, you know, it was two weeks, but I, I spent two years. Or three years, determinedly by myself. Right, and, and and then I met my now husband. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was, 
after about two years, I went, oh, I, I really want a boyfriend again. <laughs> well, a man, or I really wanted children. Yeah. That was a big, big thing. I suddenly was hit by this biological clock that had hit me, been with me for about five or six years, I think in my early 30s or, or late 20s. Well, the first time I... So I'm uh, getting so personal. The first time I ever wanted children, I was 23, and I know that because it was um, uh, my, this man who I love so dearly died. Oh my he god, at my, 23. Yeah, he died. He was 31. He had a heart attack oh in bed god. with me. Oh my god! I know it was one of the things that threw through threw me off the rails, right? Yeah, of sanity. So, um, but at that point, I really wanted a baby because I wanted him. Yeah, I wanted a piece of him. Yeah inside me but I wasn't pregnant and it yeah. didn't happen and just as well because I was such a fucking mess um, <laughs> oh my god what a thing to live through though oh yeah I know I feel sorry for me yeah. then. back then I do and it set me so on the wrong tr- journeys the right journeys right I mean the wrong, right ones in the end right because they're where you are now them. they're part of the rich experience that gives you some kind of wisdom right? yeah you develop a philosophy yeah you have to yeah on death and dying and all of these things that you know there is no person in this world that's going to survive this life it's a terrible thing to say but there isn't a one person no. that we know that will survive their life no they'll, they'll go to spirit right as Tantu says right <laughs> so but at 23 you're like I want to have babies and then that didn't happen so so then sort of a right turn into the wrong alley and um <laughs> right yeah been there yeah I went down the wrong alley for a long time and um and many many more experiences and then around 31 or 32 I, I was like I actually think I do want children uh. I really do want children and it got stronger and stronger, and I—I I just was with a man that didn't want children, a man that couldn't have children, and then that's when I went, no more men. Let's just forget about men. Right. Like just deal with yourself. Right. And then I met my husband. I got had this epiphany. I was walking down the street, and I heard—I heard this voice in my head, so going, look beyond the difference. Went, what the hell does that mean? And I didn't oh. know what it meant. But you were so self-aware at that time that you could hear that. Yeah, don't you ever sort of have like a yeah. revelatory yes. moment? And I knew it was revelatory. I yeah, that's that when I know that I'm, I'm, I'm in my body. When I'm able to see and hear um, influences and be affected by like a song will play. I'm like, oh, that hits me. Oh, why does that hit me? Yeah. Or like that voice comes up. You're like, oh, I heard that. Like so, sometimes I can't hear it because I'm so noisy. Right, and you have to write it down, yeah. right? So yeah. I wrote this down, and I didn't know what it meant. And I think it means many things. And I think that it's really relevant to today, like about inclusivity. Yeah, yes. You look beyond the difference. Like you see a person, and they look different to you, and so you don't want to know them because they look too different, right? They're wearing clothes that you don't recognize. Um, they're a different color. They've got a different culture. And it was look beyond that right? uh, yeah. to the human being. So that's what I think it means now. At the time, I thought because I wanted a man, but by this time again, <laughs> I was ready to re-enter <laughs> the world of men. Um, that I I went maybe it means to look at men that I've never looked at. Oh, right. So I did. I found my man. Right. We got together for twenty five years. And where did you meet? 
in a play. It but, helps. Yeah. It helps because you're sort of rehearsing being in love. And I mean, it helps. But then you didn't have kids right away. No, but really soon. And he was he's younger than me. Right. So that was hard on him. But I feel like we had this talk when we were shooting because you had kids late. Yeah. I was 41 when I had right. Liam. Right. And I was 47 when I had Finn. Right. Finn was sort of like a, a, a magical moment right because we really didn't expect or we were looking for him anymore I, I tried to have children after Liam I tried to have a baby before Liam I, I've had three miscarriages wow. in my life and five pregnancies and two babies and uh, I feel really fortunate mm-hmm. that I have babies at all um, <clears throat> and um, and Finn was sort of just this unlooked for soul yeah <laughs> that arrived on our doorstep you know because I said after this the, mis- the, mi- the I had two miscarriages after Liam, but one was sort of serious and was really we were really hopeful for that baby and um, yeah. And I just said at the end, uh, I was by that time I was forty five and I went um, probably in perimenopause and mer- menopause and then probably uh, so many hormones were flooding my body. I said I just don't know if I can go through this yeah. again. And he said, okay, well we have one child, we're fine. And then and, uh, and then. The next year, well, he went to. I went to Hawaii again. That sounds so spoiled. Oh, interesting. That doesn't sound spoiled. It sounds like I took the pursuit of. My mother wanted to go, and then she <clears throat> fell, and she couldn't. She couldn't go, and we were going to go with her to help her with her suitcases. And Liam and I were going. Liam was four, and um, and so four-year-old helping us lady with the suitcases is lovely. But <laughs> <laughs> just carried him around. Yeah, but, yeah. He was. Um, he, yeah. So we we went and we. We went to, and, and without her, which was sort of odd because we hadn't chosen this holiday, and um, and that, so I went to Hawaii, and Rothgar went up to Whistler, and I, I guess the the maybe the pull, the, the gravity pull yeah. of the universe, like he's up in fresh air, yeah, gave him some healthy sperm, right, and I'm in like gravity pull central, there, right, right, because of the, the the all the volcanoes that are constantly going, right, you know, new land. In Hawaii, came back, and the last good egg came out. Wow! And got in, in, spur, in the last good egg. Well, that could be the title of your book. Yeah. The last. That's good what egg. we called the baby for a while. Yeah, the last good egg. And you didn't have any complications or anything like that. No, and I had a home birth. That's wild. I know. It, well, it, as my midwife said, she said, "Well, it would have been a home birth or a car birth." Right. It was like an hour and a half start to finish. Wow. It was too fast. Wow. It was a bit too fast. It was cool though. And so now, like. Like, looking at your life and your career, are there, do you have things that you are missing? Like, are you, do you like the balance that you've found? Yeah, I do. Short answer. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I have a really good life. Yeah. And, you know, um, this summer I took a, I took a month off because I'm doing a play right, right next, so I know right. what I'm doing. And um, I booked off and I said I'm not doing any auditions. And I, I have a cabin in Quebec. It's a log cabin. And it's by it's it's on a river, like a babbling brook of a river. Yeah. <clears throat> and then then the river turns and it's there's a little lake and I swim swim across the lake twice a day, and um, I felt like I had this I had a magical life, you know I had no stress. Yeah. Because um, no auditions and uh, and people have to understand you know you understand right that. We do tons of work every year, but we don't necessarily get paid for it because if you or if you are doing, say, 
two auditions a week. That's if you're lucky. You know, well, or 50 yeah. a year. Yeah. 100 inter- job interviews a year. Right. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. 100. And you have to learn the lines for it or really familiarize yourself very well with with the material that you're given. And it's a tremendous amount of work. Yeah. And... Um, and it can be extremely stressful. Yeah. Because you're going into a new situation each time. You don't know the people. I mean, more and more, there's self-tapes, etc., which are not as stressful. No, it's definitely the, easier. It has really. eased it up. But then there's more and more of them. Um, I mean, my husband does tons of auditions. There's fewer auditions for me uh, because of my age and who I where I am in my career. I'm not going up for the one-line parts anymore. Right. Um, famous last words. I should never say that because no, you shouldn't. You, know, you never know. Going up for the one-line parts, right? But, um, but I something like Maudie, and I also think this comes because I think you're an artist actor. You know how there's some actors that are commercial actors. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any judgment either None. which way, but I think you're like an artist. I think that you probably prepare to the nth degree for your auditions. Well, you know, certainly for Maudie, I did. Yeah, you have to. Um, yeah, like I did a short film for them, basically. Did you really? I did, yeah. yeah did they well, ask I, you for a lot? I was, uh, it was beautiful. It was a great audition. I was given a week, which is yeah. unheard of. Unheard I was of. given the script, unheard of. Uh, I was given the, an art book that that um, that Mom. Ashling had put together, so oh. to give an idea of the, the art that she wanted. Yeah. Like the, the feeling, the colors, etc. Um, and I was up at my cottage, and we have uh, it's a little, it's just like a little uh, compound of cottages, right? There's only eight of them, and the, our extended family owns four of them, and one of them is just this little cabin. Um, it's not the cabin that I stay in generally, but it's called we call it the Smith Cottage, and it's sort of a sleeping cabin. And, yeah. Um, Rothko's mom loves it because it's warm and it's um, it's, it's bright and yeah. sunny. But it's uh, it, anyway we we filmed the the audition there, right? And we were able to take you know I took like you can't most auditions the most you can take is fifteen minutes, right? Uh, we filmed it over like three hours, right? I know. <laughs> again, I want to do it again. I'm missing that one yeah, moment. Yeah, and then yeah. and then well, we we played it back and Esther Rothko's mom who was 87 at the time, or 86, she said, I can't really see your body because it's... So we, sh- we shot that one. Right. right. Because right. that was my the, my costume was the same color as... The oh, thing. interesting. And right, I hadn't right, even right. noticed, but yeah. she noticed. So the whole family got in on that one. Uh, but going back to what you were talking about with balance... Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I got this chance to just have a month of right. zero stress. Or, you know, like other than family dynamic stress, which is its own thing. Yeah. But but zero stress in my industry. Right. That was a real gift, I don't think. So I could see when I did that, I went, oh, I could see how I could retire. Yeah. Could you? Oh, yeah. And, and like, Don't you think you would miss like that this as a creative outlet? I, I, for sure. For so sure. what would you do if you weren't acting? Well, um, I am doing some writing right now. Okay. I know a lot of actors say that. Um, we, we all have to be. Yeah, and I've always written a little bit, and I never produce them. I just write them. Okay. Because I really enjoy the process of taking imagination and putting it on a page and seeing, and just thinking of the images and how you would put it together and all the rest of it. And, I, I mean, I'd love to be brave enough to then take it to the next level. But this one I'm writing with um, two other people. Okay. And we had a... We did a... A brainstorming session together at 
the location that the director would like to use. Oh, cool. And came up with this story. And I don't know if it'll ever work, but it's really interesting to work on. So I worked on it while I was at the cottage. Mm -hmm. And I think that I would have to have that sort of thing. Yeah. I'd have to have that kind of... Because I'm, I am a Virgo, and I really like to have stuff to do. Right. I like to have, like, goals. I've always had ambition and goals. Those yeah. are, you know, <clears throat> talk to kids sometimes, and they, and they like my kids. And I say, well, what's your ambition? And they don't really <clears throat> have any. Right. I go, how can you go through life without any ambition? So, but now you talk about, like, I can see retiring. Do you have, What's the ambition past that? I think one of the things I said to somebody is that, you know, to develop a philosophy. Like, one of the things I've been able to, about death and dying. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a really good... Right. What is your philosophy right now? Are you working on it? Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> Let <laughs> me know, would you? I, I went to Tantu's talk, and okay. I, I loved what she was saying. And she was talking about going to spirit and um, being a part of the thrum and the... the, the she, she was talking a lot about the sort of organic nature of the universe. Right. And, um, and I think that's it, right? Like, I think that, that, that's key to my philosophy yeah I mean logically yes but emotionally it's it's a it's a journey to figure that out to me I think that um, you know these are packages that we're in yeah yeah I think these are packages and uh, there's the the spirit is something else yeah and so there's no killing the spirit no I believe that yeah have you done everything that you want to be doing like sometimes I I worry that I'm I'm going to not contribute enough. No, I mean, I I could be way less selfish. I could still, like, give so much more, I'm sure. Well. But, you know, if I just keep that in the back of my head, and hopefully, you know... I mean, like, if I died tomorrow, that would be hard on my kids. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't want to die tomorrow because I think that would mess them up. Yeah. Um, and they're still relying on me to sort of because they're 24 and 18 now and uh, they're still relying on me to kind of like boot them in the pants right yeah <laughs> every yeah. so often I bet there's a lot of people that rely on you for that <laughs> my boots are getting tired <laughs> do you get that do, do people um, endow you with motherhood a lot uh, well with with a certain strength yeah. yeah but that's okay because I think endowment actually gives it to you right so because that they hand it to you we were saying just now, and it's sort of different, but it's, it's the same, which is um, if people could remember to gather the energy and lift it up as opposed to push it down. You know, we see so much judgment in the world today. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's so quick because that's, that's a fast way of uh, making yourself feel strong. And right. um, it's a fast way of giving, getting yourself noticed and sort of keep yourself at a distance from things. And I, I was just, I had this thought, like, to take the judgment out of it. What happens if we take the judgment out of every equation? Just not necessarily that you shouldn't have judgment, but just take it out for a minute or two and look at the situation then. Right. And then if people can also think about taking the energy and lifting it up, like looking up instead of constantly pushing it down. Yeah. We have this sort of, there is a lobster mentality. You've heard mm-hmm. about the lobsters in the pot, mm-hmm. right? Where the one lobster is managing to get to the bottom, top of the pot and get out of there. Yeah. And the other lobsters pull the lobster down. They're going, no, if we're going down, you're going you're down You're staying too. with us. And I think that 
you know, if we see some a lobster getting out of the pot, why don't we help it out? Right. And why don't we? Why don't we? Well, because we might get, he might pull, turn around and pull us out. Right. I mean, I, I'm, I think, yes, like I try to be as supportive as I can and lift. I think that's You do. Little, I see you. I, I've seen you and I know you and you're like, you're totally one of those people that gets underneath people and lifts them up. Uh, I think so. I just think, um, I'm also human and there's times where I'm like, oh, this is hard. Do you yeah. know? Like, I don't find it always easy to be the people's cheerleaders because I need the cheer for myself. You need to be lifted up. Yeah. That's the thing is that we all need to be. Yeah. We do, you know. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is to sort of just keep on sharing how we survive. Like, yeah. it is about survival. And it is about survival without having um, enormous amounts of anguish. Right. Right. Like, yeah. To survive with joy. Yeah. How are you doing with that? Joy is good. Yeah. yeah. How do you get your joy? How do I... Uh, I think to take... It really is about finding the moment. It's very Buddhist, right? But finding the moment and seeing, seizing the moment. Yeah. And saying, in this moment, I have immense happiness. Yes. And I don't have to... Just, to I don't have to sort of apologize for that. Like, that's another thing yeah. that we do is we go, but... No buts. Right. I have immense happiness right now being yeah. with you and talking about these profound things. It's I've got goosebumps all over my body. Honored. And I'm I'm feeling even more joy and I'm gonna cry. No, I've cried twice. I know. Like that's <laughs> isn't that a wonderful thing? I and honestly so we don't need to butt it. We don't need to attempt to apologize no, for it. I celebrate this. Like I celebrate that I have an hour to sit down with you and have yeah. this discussion. It's uh, it's my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, and that somebody else somewhere is going to listen to this and be like, that, that jazzes me. Like, that's really great. And there's always hope. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. I mean, do. sometimes we, it's, that's, we lose it, right? There's yeah. in those dark times that we were talking about before. That's when you lose your hope. And I did like a second city sketch of like, I started the sketch looking in drawers and opening closets. And then my husband comes in and he goes, what are you looking for? I said, I've lost my hope. And it was all about this whole, you know, sort of esoteric version yeah. of that but like losing your hope is the scariest thing in the world it is and just trying to find hope in something right <laughs> never believe the fuckers right my right. son my son had this illness <laughs> once and uh, uh, he was 20 years old and he was told by a doctor that um, he uh, part of his face had gotten paralyzed through um, uh, Ramsey Hunt syndrome and the doctor had said, you know, 30 percent of people never recover. Thirty percent of people have some some recovery, and thirty percent have a little recovery. Like, like he gave him no hope. Yeah. And my son rose off the bed, and fainted. And uh, we got him back onto the bed, and the doctor left. And I went up to him and I said, "Don't believe the fuckers. I know every witch in the business." <laughs> <laughs> And he was 100% recovered in two and a half weeks. Holy I crap. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I But that goes with everything, right? In our industry, yeah. in, in creating art in any way, when people say, oh, you can't do that, or don't do that. Yeah. Or you'll, never, fuck or you'll never make this. You'll no. You'll never get that. It's so important. Forget to those me. people that say never. Yeah. Just forget that. Forget it. Just do it. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. You know, and then if it doesn't work out, great, but you've had a great journey. Yeah. <laughs> do you have um, Do you have something that you would have told yourself as a kid 
advice you might have given yourself to get to where you are today? Be a little choosier. That's great. That applies to so much. So much. <laughs> yeah. Just be a little choosier. Yeah. Stop and think before you act. Like don't don't jump in. Don't jump in every time. I mean, it's great to jump. I love jumping. And I, and don't be too cautious either. But I was very lacking in caution. Right. Uh, even though I'm not the bravest person in the world, I was pretty brave. But just have a look before you jump. Surprises me to hear that you say you think you haven't been brave because I think you're such a bold woman. Yeah, brave on the outside. Like I would do really foolish, crazy things, but in the inside, I was pretty scared. Right. I know people have this perception, right? Yeah, yeah. On the inside, like. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing. When people see you, they're like, oh, you're so strong. You're Gabriel Rose. You can do anything. Yeah, that's that's what people are endowing me with, but that's not who I am, right? right? That's just that's just because I am my age, and I've done a ton of stuff. Yeah. And I've got to this point where I've been in these situations so often that I'm fairly comfortable, and I don't feel the need to, you know, go out and be seen. I don't feel yeah. the need to sort of, like network or no. whatever and that makes you look confident right but it just makes it means that I'm one tired and and I know that it's not going to work anyway yeah I, I mean, mean it, might, made, it might it might I might well I mean you've made your good. connections before too like with people like Bruce Sweeney that you work yeah, with a lot yeah. and yeah. yeah um what is a risk to you a risk yeah well, that's a good question what would you say is a risk um well <laughs> physical risk and emotional risk there's different categories for me like a risk would be like anything with height I don't really have a interest in jumping from anywhere unless it's jumping out of bed Uh, but I don't (laughs) really that doesn't interest me speed doesn't interest me like going really fast in a car a boat or anything like that so those things I'm not really interested in risk wise I mean this podcast is a bit of a risk for me speaking my my heart and that's challenging to me constantly yeah um Anything with too much stru- structure would be a risk. I'm giving you all your answers. What's your risk? I'm trying to think. Like I'm trying to think of a good answer. Like if somebody came to you and said, "We have this interesting," I get vertigo, so I'm really scared of heights. I mean, yeah, uh, but that's like though, physical. Yeah, it's totally physical. But like, what would be something that if I said I have this project, it's a bit risky? Am I naked? <laughs> it might be naked nudity. Like it might because be you used to do nudity. Oh in films. yeah, no, and I've done nudity quite a few times, and. Uh, but I've never done like full on nudity. Right. Um, I I feel very protective of my underparts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, people think that I've done that, but I, you know, I I even in one I wore I wore these flesh colored underpants, and people thought that I was completely naked. Right. That's what they saw. Yeah, I don't think I wasn't. No, about nudity. I was, uh, you know, um, and I'm not scared of the body. And actually, I'm a bit of an exhibitionist, and really kind of get enjoy it once I get past the fear. So, so nudity isn't necessarily a risk, though. Now I just can't imagine it. Um, You know that anybody would ask me to. Um, Well, I mean, I think you're pretty sexy. I think like. You've held on to a great sexuality about you. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I think along with my own chins. Well, um, but you know, uh, yeah, risky. It's funny. Like the bigger the part, the more I'm like, yeah, give yeah. it to me. Yeah. You know, I did. Um, I did Angels in America. Last I know. Year. I saw that. 
Oh, you have done like a, like killer. That was only last year. That was just last year. Holy I had crap. fifteen costume changes, and oh I had shoes that hurt. And like I was running, like literally, we come off stage one side, total change yeah. of character. As I ran, so exciting though. It was really exciting. Yeah, it was absolutely and three and a half hours long. It was really exhausting. Um, I wasn't daunted by it, but I guess that was risky. Um, but what would be a risk now? I don't know. I don't know. I'd, I would have to be confronted by it. I'm really I'm sorry. I don't have a good answer. And for me, it might be something like changing my career or changing like into a more intellectual pursuit that I'm not... Because it, it would go against what I know. Yeah, yeah. Like if somebody said, I mean, you're going to go back to school for three years for something, I'd be like, oh, well, I mean, that just doesn't sound like fun to me, but it also yeah, be Yeah, I mean, I actually have terror uh, when people ask for the audience for questions I have to to ask a question oh to ask the to to put up my hand because of public speaking no I can speak really well but I have terror about that that's not, crazy that's a stupid thing hey? well I mean it's not stupid it's sort of I mean, stupid <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody um, said okay so you have to be one of the people that asks a question at right. a conference I think I'd be so maybe sweating. like moderating a panel might be a risk for you I've moderated a panel yeah, so, so I don't know let me know. And I've been an MC too, so I kind of enjoyed that. Naked though. Naked. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. That's that would be put, there. We go. We I found mean, it. We, we found, found it. it. Naked asking a question of a, in a conference. Yeah, that's yeah, it. There we go. Thank you so much. <laughs> I honestly, I could talk to you all day, and I'm so happy to see your face and reunite. You're such. Um, I know we only spent a short time together I doing know, that but film. But I felt like we really bonded. Yeah, you're such a part of my heart. Yeah, me too. You. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And that's Gabrielle Rose. I love her. She's just such a wise and passionate woman. And um, I learned so much from her, not just from our discussions, but from watching her on screen. So if you ever get a chance to see her, go check her out in her movies. Maudie is so beautiful. Sweet Hereafter, two for one. Those are all great movies. Go check her out on Twitter, GabrielleRose79. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to my Firecracker Department team. Oh boy, I could not do this without them. And we are getting stronger and stronger with more and more community members. If you're looking to get involved with the Firecracker Department, reach out to me, firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com. And let me know what you're working on and what you're interested in. I'm sure there's a seat at the firecracker table with your name on it. Thank you so much to all the folks that are leaving reviews on our iTunes account. That means the world to me. And I know the firecracker department team members just really love seeing all the folks that are commenting on our Twitter and in our Instagram and our iTunes, all those things. So thank you so much. Go check us out, Firecracker D-E-P-T. Or if you just want to see what else we're working on in the departments, firecrackerdepartment.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Naomi Sneakus. This is the Firecracker Department. Now, go out there, because you've got this. <laughs> <laughs>